When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Hey. Hey. I love that hang time beat, John. I, I really do. I love to hear that hang time beat. It lets me know where I'm at. Every week this time, the Hang Time Podcast, Aku Smith here at headquarters in Atlanta. My normal partner, Greg Anthony, is on the road traveling to Utah for the Spurs and Jazz on TNT Thursday night's game. So uh, since we're this close to Christmas and I need somebody that can help me get cranked up for the holiday properly, nobody better than my main man, Michael Lee of Yahoo Sports Vertical. Mike Lee, what's up, sir? I'm doing great. Um, doing wonderful, man. It's just a... Uh... Gearing up for uh, for the holiday myself. Yeah, man. Happy holidays. I know uh, always a, a good time in the Lee household, special this year, of course, with uh, baby Boss Lee in, in the picture. So congrats, man. Uh, it's Thank you. Enjoy, Thank you. enjoy yeah, that. First Christmas for my son. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to him tearing open some uh, <laughs> wrapping paper to see how he reacts. I'm looking forward to, in a couple of years when I send that drum set up there and uh, you got to Unwrap that and watch him bang on that thing for. <laughs> you, you, you seen that drum set? That'll be the last time we do a hang time. Like that. <laughs> that drum set and that that Mercedes he can ride around in, you know that little motorized car. Like I used to get all them gifts from my older son, and I used to be like, man, why are these people sending this stuff? I realized it was people who had had kids, and they were like, yeah, we got to pay this fool back. We gotta give him some gifts that <laughs> got to put together, or gonna drive him crazy. <laughs> oh man, but look. I know you've been all over the place here recently. You know, so much stuff going on in the league. Kobe Bryant getting his jerseys retired. I've, I've been watching the video essays, man. You've been killing it. What's been the craziest thing you've seen on the road leading up to Christmas so far? Oh, man. that's that's a, Well, a couple crazy things. One is in the, uh, the rise of Victor Oladipo. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody expected that was coming about. The other is the fact that LeBron is, like, about to be 33, and it's looking like he was – 23 again. <laughs> um, you got the Celtics, which are, you know, got this whole thing. And they're so good that you forget they're missing a guy they just gave $100 million to this summer and yeah. Gordon Hayward. Yeah, that's um, crazy. So, yeah, and the fact that OKC has so much hype coming in, I think everybody expected them to really take off. Um, and they've been kind of a disappointment. Uh, you know, I think people kind of thought that, you know, Chris Paul and James Harden was a sort of an odd fit, but you know you see them coming together and I, uh, and they just they just look phenomenal. I mean, the, the Rockets look like they're they're a team that, that's serious, you know, because um, you know for the first time since you had D'Antoni coaching the squad, they actually played D, so it's just a new element. So I don't know, it's a whole lot going on with this league, man. But but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I rattled off a couple. Yes, oh, no, you know what. The champs are so good. That we <laughs> right. No, it's a trip, man. The, the the Rockets, no question, just playing out of their minds. And that, and that Christmas Day schedule, you mentioned several other teams that are going to be involved, obviously. Um, we kick it off with the Sixers and the Knicks, the, you know, the process versus the Unicorn at noon. Cavs-Warriors in the finals rematch at 3. That first game on ESPN, second game on ABC at 3 o'clock Eastern. Um, Wizards and Celtics at 5.30 on ABC, getting it in. You know, I, I don't know who's wearing black this year. I don't know who's dressing up for a funeral this time. I don't know if the Wizards need to be bothered with that stuff right now. they got other business to handle, make sure they get back on track and get everybody healthy. Rockets Thunder at 8 o'clock. And then we got the Futures game at, at 10.30 on TNT. And that's the Wolves and the Lakers. I, I love the... I love the young Lakers. How hard they playing right now, Mike? I, I like. Yeah. I like that that they play with an edge. All of them: Ingram, Randall, um, Kuzma. Even even Lonzo is starting to show me a little bit more of an edge right now. Yeah, I think that's really all people were waiting to see out of Lonzo. You know, they wanted to see that fire. They wanted to see 
some kind of passion because he's so cool. You know, I think he's got such a loud mouth father that I think that sort of <laughs> led his personality sort of being a little more subdued because you can't have too many loud mouth dudes in the same room together. Somebody's got to take a back seat. Somebody got to fall back. And I think he's done that his whole life. But he sort of took that approach, you know, to his first couple of games. He's just kind of too cool for school, you know. But I think that now you're starting to see him engaged. The one thing I do like, I do like about him, is that um, he, he sticks with it, and he seems to handle all the scrutiny, all the um, criticism. He seems to handle it quite well, you know. It doesn't seem to get him, knock him too far down. It doesn't seem he doesn't seem to get too excited after a good game. And he just, you can look, you can when you watch him play. You see what he does to, to make his teammates better. You see what he does to encourage ball movement. You see that he's not really too focused on stats, even though he, he racks them up. That's not his objective out there to get stats. It's more to just get the team going, get the team moving. And I think that's that's the best thing I can say from him. You, you know, you saw the game winner from Brandon Ingram in Philadelphia yeah. uh, recently. And, you know, he doesn't have a shot. You know, he can't shoot at all, but he's still able to get the defense to collapse find the open man to hit the game winner. And so, yeah, the Lakers have been fun, uh, and they're not going to win games. But I think if if you're a Lakers fan, you shouldn't expect that right now. You should just want to see progress. You know, and you mentioned the guys, Kuzma, you mentioned Clarkson, you mentioned Randall, um, and then you got to talk about Brandon Ingram, um, you know, who had such a a really rough uh, rookie year. You know, he was dealing with so much from – getting Kobe's locker to be a number two pick and being a guy that is supposed to be the face of this new wave for the Lakers. And he was just so skinny that he was just overwhelmed by everything, overwhelmed mentally, overwhelmed physically. And it just started to wear on him. He he, he lost confidence in himself. He told me that um, mm. and during the preseason that, you know, he just didn't have fun. Well, he wasn't having fun. He just didn't have that, that, that confidence that he usually had throughout his whole high school and um, college career. And, you know, Jerry Stackhouse has been a big influence on him. And right. he was hammering home the message, just stay with it. And uh, also stop paying attention to social media. You know, <laughs> stop listening to what people are saying about you right. and, and internalizing that. You know, um, we, we we are from a different generation. You know, I can't even check out. I couldn't imagine if there was social media in 95 oh. when I was coming up. Oh. You can't imagine what a guy like 1920, you know, the way people just roast you every day. If you were in that and checking your phone every time every time somebody mentions your name, I can't imagine what it would do to somebody as a teenager. Yeah, starting out of high school back then. He yeah. managed to block out the noise. He's, he's playing with a lot more confidence, and he's attacking the basket, which is, I think that's the first step to him getting more confidence. He's so skinny, so, so uh, thin, but he's, he's not afraid to attack the basket and go to the free throw line. I think that's that's a great step for him. Yeah, it has changed things dramatically, you know, for, for I think Ingram and the Lakers, man. So I know, you know, we talked on last week's podcast with uh, Jessica Camarado about the Sixers and, and just mm-hmm. what what's going on there. But I want to ask you about New York because not a lot of people, you know, everybody's talking about Porzingis and, and what he's done. Not a lot of people have been focusing on the fact that this could be a playoff team potentially this year. You know, with Scott Perry's first year at the helm in New York, they've had some moments. I mean, and I know they got work to do, obviously. It's a long season left. But, I mean, what, what would you think if Porzingis and the Knicks ended up being a playoff team this year and, and turning that corner right away during Scott Perry's tenure and Steve Mills's tenure, you know, now as the, the team president? Yeah, I mean, it'd be amazing because, you know, all the Knicks fans want, they just want a winner. They want a team that's going to play hard. They want a team that's going to compete. They want a team that's going to entertain. And they, they have that right now. Um, you know, I think that I don't think anybody expected them to be – in the playoff chase, I don't think anybody expected Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, to have the kind of year that he started off with. Um, I think that, you know, people were criticizing them about the trade they made with Carmelo. It's like they couldn't get more than just Ennis Cantor and Doug McDermott. But, you know, Ennis Cantor is playing, you know, really uh, good basketball. Um, so you just, they signed Michael Bisley, you know, and he's had some monster games. You know, he was able to you know, knock out the Thunder a couple uh, days ago, Yeah. Um, you know, had a 30-point game. And, and you, you can just sort of see that the chemistry is there. These guys are playing for each other. Um, you saw that incident a few weeks ago where, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, LeBron was getting into it with the, with the French kid, uh, Frank. Uh, I can't Kenny, his name, yeah. but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then Cantor walked up to him, got up to his chest, and, you know, they had a little John session. That that kind of stuff that uh, you know that kind of stuff can bring a team together, and I, I think that you're starting to see that these guys they look like they're enjoy playing with each other, and um, 
And for New York, you know, that's kind of what people are, are, are anxious for. They, they just wanted some excitement, you know. Yeah. Um, and this team, surprisingly, is giving it to them. Porzingis looks like a guy who's just been waiting for a chance to carry a team. And uh, he doesn't seem to be having any problems getting buckets and, and doing so many things. Um, so he, he, the Knicks have surprisingly been fun to watch. I thought once they traded Carmelo, they'd be uh, the team I just want to pay attention to. But now I can't help but watch it. Yeah, they, uh, you know, and it's it's funny, Mike. You talk about team building in this league, and you know there was a time. I remember when you had guys coming straight out of high school, and you'd build a team with nineteen-year-olds, and everybody understood that there would be a four or five year learning curve. And I feel like that's vanished now. Like people expect, you mentioned Brandon Ingram earlier, like people expect a rookie to come in every rookie, no matter where you drafted, you got to come in and be an overnight sensation. I'm like, no nah, man, you got to give guys time. I remember when Dirk came in the league, Mike, and he was a target. <laughs> like dudes went out trying to dunk on him every night. I remember they did that yeah. with Yao Ming. Like when did we decide you don't get any kind of transition period when you come to this league and you got to be good right now. You got to turn the corner immediately. Um, the minute we started, you know, having <laughs> everything on our phones, right. the minute we started, you know, watching movies and, yeah. and uh, being able to call up anything we want, any second we wanted. So I think we had that level of patience when it comes to, to players and, and teams. We want it right now. We don't want to wait. You know, we used to be microwave with a thing when we were coming up, but now things are moving even faster than that. You know, yeah. so I just think that, you know, people don't have really realistic expectations of things. Like, I, I remember you talked about the Lakers earlier. When Lonzo was struggling early on, like his first dozen games, people were calling him a bust. I'm like, yeah. yo, he's playing the <laughs> toughest position in the NBA. He's a rookie. He's uh, trying to learn how to lead a team and figure out what he's doing out there. Give him time. Get all these guys time. They all need time. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I think that, that that comes with age. The older you get, the more you can sit back and sort of be like, okay, you know, it's a year is not too yeah. long. Two years is not too long. You just wait and see guys show show progress, show promise on the floor, and then then you pounce. You know, after after a while, you can kind of see the warning signs that this isn't going to work out. Yeah. But uh, I think overall, you got to take a step back and just observe and, and be patient because you we've seen numerous stars that needed a little time to become actual stars. You know, you, but you but you also know that by that third or fourth year. If they haven't turned that corner yet, it probably isn't going to happen. Right. Then we got a problem. Yeah. But not yeah. two months is not enough is what I kept trying not to tell enough. people. About Lonzo. <laughs> I was like, yo, it's like we're not even to Christmas. Give them, give them at least till Christmas before we start throwing darts. Um, t- two teams that we've seen, for, you know, for three years, really four years now running. Um, that Cavs-Warriors game, and I, I know Steph is, is not scheduled to play based on the medical report that the Warriors put out. I don't mean this to be disrespectful by any stretch to Steph, but I, I don't care who's healthy in, in those uniforms that day. That's the game I'm like clearing, you know, I'm clearing the room at, when that game comes on because I need to see whoever's playing, they're going at it. Like this is, you play to the last game of the season three straight years, and this is the first time you get to lock up since the finals. Some, you know, it's going to be some, some action in hey, that game. And, let, and let, let me tell you, You've been watching LeBron play for a long time. You haven't seen him play like this. Yeah. And and I and I and you know why he's playing like this. <laughs> like you know that he is furious that the, the the Warriors just destroyed him last year in the finals. KD came in there, just got buckets in his face, just put, had that pull up three, just like yeah, come just all <laughs> in his grill. And then afterward. You know, Draymond Green wears the quickie shirt, right. you know, on that the parade, you know, and then KD was like, you know, it was a great moment when LeBron, you know, passed the torch to me as the best player in the yeah. league. <laughs> and you know, he's, you know, LeBron's just sitting there like, oh, for real, okay. And then you got Kyrie leaving to go to Boston, so you got another challenge for LeBron. I just think he's going to come into that game just so fired up. I don't know if it's going to make a difference because I know KD is going to come at him too. Yeah. Uh, but I just know that I, I see that. I see so many motivating factors to, that have led to sure that LeBron was was not taking any shorts this year. And I also just feel like that Warriors game, he's got that in his mind. Like he wants to really let people know that, you know, yeah, the Cavs got caught slipping last year in the finals, but LeBron – it's not ever going to be called. <laughs> no, not on Christmas. I mean, that's not on, nah. <laughs> that's a showcase day. And that, that's what I love about the biggest stars on that stage on Christmas Day. And 
the the league has done a, a masterful job of turning that into kind of a, a showcase day for people who maybe haven't been locked in from the start of a season um, where you get to catch up on, on a day when, think about it, people's attention is easy to capture that day. You, you wake up, you open some gifts, you might get some brunch, I guess, or something, do a little hanging out, and then, oh, look at here, basketball at high noon, like all day long. <laughs> like somebody yeah. somewhere figured that out and, and deserves a little something in the stocking for turning – Christmas Day into the NBA Showcase Day. Yeah, I mean, you know, Thanksgiving, uh, the NFL kind of hijacked that to be their day, and the, and the NBA sort of gave them their respect on that day. But, yeah, Christmas, man, it, that's like what everybody looks forward to. It's what players look forward to. And, you know, one thing that, like, you think about Christmas Day games and, you know, you cover teams and you, you've been around, like, what it's like to play on that day, I always feel for, like, the players who have home games you know, uh, on Christmas Day, <laughs> because that that is not the most ideal situation. Yeah. Because you got family coming in, you got friends coming in. Everybody wants to go to the game because it is a marquee game. Uh, so you got to worry about tickets. You got to worry about you know, um, you know, making sure everybody's comfortable. People come in town. You got dinner. You got to host dinners. You got to do all this stuff. For all these people coming to town, and then you got to worry about playing one of the best teams in the league because. They're not scheduling bums on on Christmas Day, so <laughs> you gotta you gotta bring it and you gotta focus on all that. So I always like to like if, if home teams lose and so like that, I always am like you know what that, that this is not an easy game to get ready for, especially uh, when you got so much other stuff going on. Because you you know it's like for just you and me being regular people just trying to plan for the holiday. <laughs> right. Try to try to add 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 on the element of trying to compete against LeBron for forty eight minutes. You know the cool part about it too is Mike having covered a team that was good enough to get a Christmas Day game a time or two back in the day and then covering one that wasn't, I always kind of laughed at how envious the guys who didn't play on Christmas Day were that kind of like, yeah, I guess I'll be, you know, we getting off for Christmas and I guess I'll just be watching the games, blah, blah, blah. And it was like they almost, you know, normally you hear players griping about games like, oh, we got another game or we got to play on Christmas. LeBron is notoriously kind of, been, you know, one of the guys who was always talking about, yeah, well, you know, we always have to play on Christmas. Bro, that's part of the deal. Like when you do, oh, yeah. when you got the juice, you know, that's the day you got to be on. So I always kind of cracked up. Um, and I think about Josh Smith of all people, because I remember one time he was kind of like, man, you know, kind of salty, like, man, why can't we get a Christmas Day game? And I want to be like 1369, um, 20. I just started running off to the first few seasons, like, yo, man, you got to earn a Christmas Day game. You got to be a legit sure. squad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they're not, they're not, like I said, they ain't letting bombs get on, <laughs> on Christmas Day. Because, I mean, and, and, you know, I remember uh, when the Wizards, like, when I was covering them and um, and they got their first Christmas Day game, and they used to they used to have, uh, like, a little Christmas Day, like, uh, uh, little little um, thing, patch they put on the jersey mm-hmm. to signify that this was a special day. <laughs> um, and, and you knew it, like, you they had, they had a special Christmas Day uniform. And uh, and I think that, I think actually the first time the Wizards had played Christmas in a while, they had the special Christmas Day uniform. But LeBron didn't want to wear uh, home whites, so they couldn't <laughs> wear their Christmas uniform uh, that day. And he and they were pretty furious about that. If I remember correctly, uh, LeBron switched it all up and said, "We're wearing, you know, what I want to wear on Christmas Day." And everybody said, "Okay," had to fall in line. <laughs> Yeah, well, everybody gets to wear the you know the the holiday jerseys nowadays, so no more complaining. I, you know what, the Wizards do hold an interesting spot though on that Christmas Day lineup, Mike. <clears throat> we got Mike Lee uh, of Yahoo Sports, senior writer, with us here on the Hangtime Podcast this week. GA is on the road. Um, the Wizards Celtics game. Does it surprise you at all that the Celtics occupied a spot that Bradley Beal and John Wall talked about? The Wizards taken in the no, they did. I mean, like they have been unabashed yeah. in in proclaiming themselves the best duo in the league, and that their team is the only team out there that can get in the way of the Cavaliers and all this. Boston is doing the walking, while the Wizards have done a lot of that talking. Yeah, that's that was a big problem for them, you know, coming into this year is that they they talk so much noise, <laughs> and they they also felt like the rest of the league was just going to be like, oh, you know what? They said they were good, so we might as well just give them this game. You know they didn't they didn't come out and compete didn't play hard didn't um, really bring that 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 fire you need you know if you're going to be a contender and I think one of the problems that the Wizards had is that they measured games on you know the amount of energy they need, they need to give like oh 
if we playing the Warriors, we better get up for that one. If yeah. we playing the Cavs, we better get up for that one. Are we playing the Suns? Uh, we can chill tonight. And if you're an elite team, if you're a great team, you don't really care who the opponent is. You try to use every game as an opportunity to get better. And you try to take out everybody that you're supposed to take out. And if you got an inferior team at your home building, you just go ahead and try to take the, take care of them in three quarters so you can have that fourth quarter off. You know, that's what the really good teams do. And I think they convince themselves that, you know, we were, you know, game seven, Eastern semis, you know, we, we, we're, we've arrived, you know, and there's never a moment where you can settle in this league because the moment you think that you made it somewhere, there's somebody else that's, that's going to catch you and jump over you. And that's yeah. sort of what's happening right now, I think, for them. So they're, I think the Wizards came into this season with one advantage, and that was continuity. Um, they, they all knew each other. They all, um, you know, played, played well together last year. Um, but it's, it's weird because even though the names are the same, they still have the same starting lineup, that lineup hasn't been on the floor together, you know, from injuries. You know, they had John Wall get a Smith time. They had Marquise Morris miss the first part of the season. You know, now they got Otto Porter injured. So it's always somebody not in. And if they're starting five, could ever get, find a way to be on the floor together because I think they've only played five games. Wow. Uh, if they're starting five, can actually be on the floor together and they can get it together. They can actually make a run because their bench, which was really awful last year, it has been pretty solid this year. So I think they just needed they need to find the groove to where they can get all their players on the floor together. But you know how it is. Sometimes you just, you just have those years where it just doesn't doesn't work out. Yeah. It doesn't happen for you. Um, but I think they do. They can look at it and say that when they're starting five healthy and playing together, they still are a great team. They haven't had a lot of that happen this year. Um, but it's, it's funny that a team like Boston, which had – you know, um, only four guys returned from last season. Completely revamped the squad. Um, Lose know, Gordon Hayward Kyrie, on opening night. I mean, yeah, yeah, adding adding a rookie and Tatum, who's awesome. Uh, having given Jalen Brown his opportunity to shine. You know, these two guys getting big minutes they weren't expected to to get with uh, Gordon Hayward before he got hurt. Um, and now all of a sudden, the squad is just you know running off sixteen game winning streaks. And, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, disappointing the, the the Pacers with a ridiculous comeback in their building, um, so they're, they're, it, it's crazy because um, you know Brad Stevens. It goes to show what kind of coach Brad Stevens is that he can get this team going like that. Um, but yeah, but it, it is crazy that the team that has the most continuity is having these problems coming into this year. Yeah, you do you. How much longer, if if you're the Wizards as an organization, Mike? Do you do you ride with that core? Like how how many more years can you go not getting over <clears throat> that threshold before you say, you know what, we love this guy, we love that guy, but maybe we got to try something different. Maybe we got to go in a different direction. Um. Yeah, I mean that's a tough question because you know um, I think I think sometimes you know being good isn't appreciated, yeah. and you know you you try to um, you know make that move or make those moves that can put you up to a different stratosphere and you might want to ruin yourself in the process. I mean, yeah. You you were in Atlanta, uh, you know, covered the Hawks for a while and you remember what it was like. Uh, maybe you don't. I remember what it was like when I covered the Hawks, <laughs> what it was like when they, they, they kept making it to the second round. Yeah. And then they were like, yo man, we gotta, we gotta, you know, shake this thing up. You know, we gotta get Isaiah Ryder in here. You know, yeah. we gotta, <laughs> we gotta get rid of Steve Smith and, and that just set the whole franchise back for seven years to where they didn't ever recover. And I think sometimes you can get caught up in um, saying, "Okay, we got to take the next level. Let's let's uh, start over." Um, but I think if you're a franchise like the Wizards that has had some really lean years, you got to kind of appreciate what you have because and, and, they're still young. I mean, um, you know, Brad and John, you know, one twenty-seven, one twenty-four. Right. Um, so that that's still a pretty solid backcourt. Um, and I think if you have that, and they're they're locked up and signed long term, you can find the, the other the other pieces around them to make the squad better. I don't know if you want to give up on anything just yet. Um, I think this year probably will be an important, a critical year for them, um, just because I feel like this is their best window to really make hay in the East. Because you got to figure that you know at some point. Philadelphia is going to get it figured out. They're going to start ascending. 
Yeah. You know, Boston's already there, but those and those young guys are only going to get better. So they're going to probably stay up there for a while. Uh, at some point, LeBron's going to surrender the East. Um, you know, and maybe at some point, I don't know. Maybe maybe got to wait till he's forty-five or so <laughs> when he decides he's done. But uh, but this is really the the best opportunity for the Wizards to kind of break through. So they're kind of losing and wasting an opportunity uh, that that could really, you know. Um, you know, prepare this organization to view itself differently, to to be to be viewed in a different way. Yeah. Uh, so so they got to get it together um, because, you know, like I said, there are teams right now that are coming. You know, um, yeah, I think it's a matter of time based on what they've done so far. I know they don't have they don't have a lot of wins and success. But I'm looking at a team like Brooklyn. You know, um, they're 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 down. Obviously, they yeah. don't have a lot of talent. Yeah. But um, but that that won't always be the case. But they do have some sort of symmetry between you know the coach and the, and the GM. Um, they have a vision for what they what direction they want to go. So I look at those kind of teams and say that you know if you don't make your hay now, um, it might be gone sooner than you think. Yeah, yeah. Last thing I'll ask you about about the Christmas Day lineup, and you tell you look, I need the truth. Did you think the Rockets would be this good? With with CP and Harden, and did you think the Thunder would still be trying to get this thing right? I mean, if if I'm Sam Presti and somebody told me I could have a do over, I'm trying to decide which one would be a bigger do over. Do I go all the way back and and keep Harden? Do I not make the Carmelo deal? I mean, how how did we get here for for both of these franchises? Well, I, I um I jump on the Thunder first. If they don't trade Harden, if they hold on to him, everything's totally different for that franchise. <laughs> right. They still have Kevin Durant. They still have Harden, they still have Westbrook, and they are what the Golden State Warriors are. They're the team that's the envy of the league. They're the team that everybody wants to wants to wants to um, copycat. Yeah. That's that's what happens if they don't trade Harden. Um, but unfortunately, they traded Harden. So now this year they lose they lose Kevin Durant probably because of that. Um, and it's like, okay, how do we get back? How do we get back to being that elite team? They made a great day, trade for Paul George. And then maybe they got a little greedy. Like, okay, we, we can take it. We can get a little more. Let's go get Carmelo. Right. And and Carmelo is thirty three. You know he's not the same Carmelo that you know was you know leading the league in scoring. And he's not the guy that you know that uh, at one point led the Knicks to fifty four wins. You know when he actually had a lot of talent around him. Um, you know he, he's a different player. And you think about it, when the Houston Rockets this summer. It felt like they had an incomplete summer because they didn't get Carmelo. Right. <laughs> like they they were supposed to get Melo, and then all of a sudden you got a big three with Harden and Chris Paul. Um, and I remember talking to uh, Earl Monroe like earlier in the year about mm-hmm. just the backcourt pairing of of um, of Harden and, and Paul. And you know he's a Knicks guy, and so he was like, I was like, do you think this team can do well? I said, I think they'll be okay, but I wish they had gone the next step and got Carmelo Anthony. And like we laughed, and I kind of agreed with him. I was like, yeah, that's kind of what they needed. But maybe they they made the right move by not going after Carmelo. Yeah. Um, because you know, get, and now I can turn this to the Rockets. Um, I did not think that, it, that having two um, point guards, two ball handlers, you know, who handle the Rockets as much as Paul and Harden do, um, was going to work out. Um, you know, because I was like, who's going to play off the ball? Are they going to be satisfied with not being the primary decision maker? And I had to go to Oklahoma and talk to Chris Paul in the preseason and have him sort of kind of put me, you know, put my doubts to rest mm-hmm. pretty quickly because he made it clear that he's wanted to play with another facilitator for years. And that was something that he had asked the Clippers to do to get him another guy so he wouldn't always have to have the ball in his hands. Because if you look at where where he's been throughout his career, he's played with like a Morris Peterson or or JJ Redick. You know, he's never really had another playmaker um, to share the backcourt with him. So, who's going to have a ball in his hands in that situation? It's going to be Chris Paul. Um, and I think that he saw Harden as somebody that could take some pressure off of him because Chris Paul can shoot. You know, if he didn't have a ball in his hands, he could still do other things. He could set screens, and um, and he can do what because he's a smart player. So you put two smart players, two guys who really needed each other, because you know Harden needed him after the way things ended in that awful game six against the Spurs. So he needed somebody to kind of take some pressure off of him. You put those guys together, and you can have a special unit. And the one thing that I think that's kind of overlooked in all this 
is that we've always said that Chris Paul is the best point guard for years. And so I always say, oh, Chris Paul, the best point guard, the point guard, you know. Yeah. So put him in the best point guard system that we've seen <laughs> the last 10 years. Put him in the same system that made Steve Nash to the MVP. Put him in the same system that, that spawned Lynn Sanity. Put him in the same system that made Chris Duhon look like a serviceable point guard. In the hey, NBA. man, hey, take it Put easy on Chris, Chris Duhon, man. Paul. Say what? So take it easy on the Duhon family, man. You ain't right for that. Well, well, I'm just saying, like, put Chris Paul, a Hall of Famer, in Mike D'Antoni's system. Yeah. Should we be surprised if this is happening? Look what he did for Harden last year. Yeah, that's a great point. That guy could have been MVP if he had another 25 triple-doubles. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he came close, you know, and he had a monster year. So um, I think a lot of this, and, and they're playing defense again, so I think that, that makes a huge difference. So, yeah, you look at OKC in Houston and you sort of say, uh, yeah, one team is, is where we didn't expect, or neither team is where you expected. And maybe the reason why they're there is because one team said, dang, we can't get Carmelo, let's see what we can do. And the other one's like, man, we got to get Carmelo, see what we can do. <laughs> you know, it's kind of messed up. I don't want to put it all on Melo because I'm a, I'm a big fan of his, and I think that, you know, um, I, I want to see him win. I want to see him have an opportunity to play for something meaningful. But, you know, facts are facts, and right now the team he's on is struggling. Yeah, he – I, I'm a big mellow defender as well. I haven't seen him in international play in the Olympics and stuff, and I keep arguing with people about it. But after a while, man, you keep doing the math problem, and, and you keep coming up with the same common denominators. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> no, I'm just saying it is. Yeah. It is. No, no, I mean, no. for real. It's, it's like, tough I mean, to. I think that's kind of where we are because you, you like, um, and then you look at the Knicks and you say, oh, well, wait, the Knicks are a playoff team right now. Yeah, yeah. How is that possible? Yeah, the math, the math. Does not always add up, Mike Lee. And speaking of math, we got to get uh, our man John Schumann on here with the Schumann stat, Mike. We can't go into Christmas in this fabulous Christmas Day slate without a little bit of Schumann stat here on the Hangtime Podcast. Fellas, what's up? Going on. Good, brother. Good. How you doing, Shu? I'm all right. So um, I was looking at some, some clutch shooting stats today. Mm-hmm. So basically, we have clutch stats back to ninety six, ninety seven, because that's when they started track, uh, keeping track of play by play data. Before that, you just you know you have game stats or whatever, but you don't know when shots were taken or when things happened. Right. Tushu, tell people what clutch, what that means, by the way. Yeah. So clutch, our, our general term for clutch is anything done with the score within five points in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime. Okay. That's our general term. So if we just say, oh. You know, so and so has shot, um, you know, ten for twenty on on clutch shots this season. That's what we're basically taking, uh, talking about. But we can sort of uh, narrow those factors even more if we want to. So today, I was looking at um, shots to tie the game or take the lead in the final minute of final minute of the fourth quarter or overtime. So only shots that were to tie or take the lead. And so we have these these numbers going back to 96 97. Mm-hmm. So first question is who do you think has taken the most of the most shots to tie or take the lead in the final minute since going back to 96 97? Who's taken or made? Just taken, taken the most. Just taken yeah. the most. I, I I would say Kobe. Absolutely, correct. Yes. So Kobe has taken 306 of or took 306 of those shots. <laughs> Good grief. Over the course of his career, including playoffs, which right. is 85 more than anybody else has taken wow. um, in those 20 years plus, you know, half of a season so far wow. uh, this year. So 85 more. So he's by sort of by default made more than anybody else also. But what do you think he shot on those shots? Just standard field goal percentage. What do you think his field goal percentage on those shots was? Mm. I would I would guess it's in the 20s. No, I, I would go higher. like 36. 33%. Okay. I was gonna say, Which I'll... isn't terrible because if you look at the average on those shots over the 20 years is 32%. So the league average is 32%. Kobe has shot 33%. Obviously, people, you know, think of the, you know, they remember the makes a lot easier than they remember the misses. So you wouldn't think of Kobe as an average clutch shooter, but that's basically what he was. He shot 33% on those shots. Um, who do you think's taken the second most of those shots over those 20 years? Uh, 
I would I would think LeBron would be up there, but then I remember all the times he passed that ball. Like he yeah. made a different play. Uh, I would go with Carmelo. LeBron is fourth on the yeah. list. 200, 210. Carmelo okay. is uh, seventh on the list. Mm-hmm. One hundred sixty-three. Wow. What about Dirk Nowitzki? He's up there. He's tenth. Okay. Uh, who would be right behind Kobe since ninety-seven? And I'll give you a hint. So he he's got the ball at the top of the key. He uh, he. Backs his man down to the elbow. He sort of f- maybe fakes a shot over his left shoulder, but then turns and shoots over the, his right shoulder. Likes to back his man down to the elbow and turn and shoot a turnaround from there. Hmm. Man, it sounds like Sam Cassell, but what about? He didn't call game. He didn't call bank. Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce yeah. Who only shot like twenty nine percent, sixty three for two twenty one on on shots to tie or take the lead in the final minute. During See, that's what I, was, I just assumed everybody would have shot high twenties. Um, I'm, you know, like this this taking yeah. that many. There's some guys. So Dirk has shot forty three percent those shots. Man. So Dirk is one of the one of the best. Mm-hmm. That's amazing because you consider you know Dirk used to be criticized for not being clutch, you know, yeah. and that he came yeah. to the reputation, obviously, when they won the championship, but there was a, yeah. a period where he used to take heat for not being a guy in the clutch, but, man, 14% is impressive. Yeah, so I'll go down the list. Like, Vince Carter is third in attempts um, at uh, and made 32%. LeBron is right, like, one behind Vince, so he'll pass him at some point mm-hmm. soon at, and shot has shot 38% on those shots. Mm-hmm. Then Durant, Ray Allen... Carmelo, Joe Johnson, of course, um, <laughs> Dwayne yeah. Wade, and Dirk rounds out the uh, top ten. Now, for those, and for, I looked at the guys that have, there's 115 guys that have taken 50 of those shots over the last 20 years. Okay. The best shooter on them is shot 45%, 31 for 69. He's an active player. And plays for the Warriors. Who do you think it is? Nope. Andre Iguodala. Nope. Clay. Nope. Steph. Nope. (laughs) Can't be Zaza Pachulia. You wouldn't do us like that. Uh, He's only taken... (laughs) He's 31 for 69. Only seven of the attempts were from three-point range. Who would that... Not... David, David West? David, David West, West yeah. 31 for 69. Wow. Hey, that mid-range game is murder. Yeah, pick and pop. Pick and pop, 17-foot assassin, right? Is that what we <laughs> call him, David West? <laughs> so as far as the guys that have taken 50 uh, attempts, next uh, in field goal percentage is Brandon Roy, 43%. Whoa. Oh, man, miss him. Then Sean Marion, then Dirk, Chris Bosh, who, and Chris Bosh, on three pointers to tie or take the lead in the final minute over the course of his career was nine for seventeen. Did he so take he shot all better did, than fifty percent on threes? Did he take all nine of those uh, in a, in a certain uniform, or did were they split? No, he. I remember hit him hitting some big ones for the Heat. I remember him hitting a three where everybody like Wade and LeBron were resting, and they were playing like in San Antonio, and it was Bosch and like a bunch and yeah. like everybody else on oh, the yeah. roster. I would have remembered all those coming in a Heat uniform, not necessarily him taking those shots in Toronto. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, who knows? I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. So Michael Jordan. We're only talking the last two years of Jordan's Bulls career mm-hmm. and uh, the two years he played for that other team. Yeah. Um, he was forty-one percent. So he's he was eleventh. He's eleventh out of these hundred and some odd people that have taken at least fifty ten, attempts. He was twenty-three for fifty-six in those four years. Mm-hmm. That's all the clutch data we have on on Michael Jordan. I don't I don't need any advanced stats on his clutchness. By the way, the worst shooter, <laughs> the worst shooter on those shots. A guy is seven seven for sixty-two. That which is eleven percent on those shots. Over the course of his career, active player. I think you guys have just were just talking about him, mm-hmm. or at least his team. Active player, uh, all star last year, but playing in a different conference this year. Mellow? Paul George. No. Paul George. Yep. Seven for sixty two. Yeah, Paul George, yep. yep. On shots to tie or take the lead uh in the final minute over the course of his career. Seven for sixty two. So 62. you're telling me that Gatorade commercial was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Two of the 
two for 33 from three-point range Oy. on th- on threes Jeez. to tie or take the lead. You know, it, uh, listen, is, is this kind of an unfair thing, though, in that yeah, I sometimes mean, you might be cast in a role that you're well, not suited well, for? About, yeah, know, think about it. The average is 32%, right? Right. So, like, these are t- – like, defenses are locked down. Yeah. There's not much ball movement going on. There's not much player movement going on. This is one-on-one. Let's see what you can do. You know, this is the kind of – Kind of stuff. So Westbrook's also near the bottom of the list. He has the fifth worst one at twenty two percent having sh- on, on those shots. Um, also, you know, I, think, I think a lot Odom. of it too comes down to like the coaching too, and like who's who's drawing up the yeah. plays, yeah, and what kind of yeah. shots you get in those situations. Because I I always hate it in those in the games or like in the quarter situations where guys are like just you know yo the ball at the top of the key, just letting the clock melt, and then they just shoot some kind of awful three. And like, what is this? I remember the Pacers used to draw a lot up for George where it was just him coming off like a, a curl and like at the top of the key catch and shoot. It's tough like in where where he's still in on the move, you know. He, he they they draw they used to draw up a lot of tough sort and, of shots out of timeouts for him. And, and that's a tough wondered, shot for a guy who likes to work off the dribble the way Paul George is. Yeah. I keep telling people that's one of the issues they have now. Yeah, it used to boggle my mind like they would draw an ATO, like even just in the middle of the third quarter or something, and right. out of timeout play for him to shoot a jumper. Like if, like you know, like it, that would that always seemed weird to me. That um, you know, some of the stuff you, you think you want to get him, you know, going downhill towards the basket or something like right. that. Otherwise, but um, no, it's 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 sort of an interesting uh, interesting list. And obviously, so Kobe was the inspiration for me, sort of just yeah. looking up these 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 numbers. You you bring up an interesting point, Shu, and uh, and as always, we appreciate the Schumann stat um, when you come on and scramble our brains like this. Um, Mike, you mentioned a, an important point. And it's one that I kind of wanted to make earlier in the show, and I want to address it now with the both of you. And it's the last thing I'm going to do before I release you both to enjoy your Christmas. <laughs> are we are we glossing over the fact that Billy Donovan is not doing a stellar job bringing that Oklahoma City three together? Because I, I was thinking back to the scrutiny that we've given every other coach who was gifted this kind of superstar talent. I remember when the Celtics assembled that team and it was basically like, if if Doc screws this up, it's on him. You know. Eric Spolstra was they're trying to run him out of town with pitchforks. In you fifteen games. For, yeah, forever in Miami. Um who knows what they would have said about Steve Kerr if the if the Warriors didn't cash in and win. You know what I'm saying? Like are we and maybe it's too soon. Maybe it's you know, too soon in this season to to start throwing Billy Donovan under that bus. But I'm saying, is is he getting a bit of a pass as a coach not being able to get that group into a better vibe? Because I, I remember, think about when L.A. had, and they had injuries and all this other stuff that went on. But when they assembled that team with Dwight and Kobe and Nash. Oh, yeah. The, Mike the, Brown was the, on. Oh, man. Games, the, right? Yeah. The, I mean, he didn't even get two weeks. And I just feel like, are we are we – Ignoring Billy Donovan's role in this, or giving him a pass for some reason, I think I'm it's asking. Tough. Yeah, it's. I think it's tough from the outside to know. See, for we can diagnose. I mean, these this team with all that talent ranks 24th in offense, mm-hmm. and we can with the data that we have now, we know that they rank near the bottom of the league in pass in ball movement, and they need, uh, rank near the bottom of the league in player movement. Right. The question is. Is that his fault or is that the player's fault? And so from the outside, it's hard to know if he's urging these guys, hey, move the ball and move your bodies, you know, move your butt. You know, when when, you know, Carmelo has the ball on the uh, don't just, you know, on the left wing, Russ, don't just stand there and put your, you know, uh, lean over and and put your hands on your shorts and and act like, you know, that you're not getting the ball. You know, is he telling them to to move the ball more and move more, or is he fine with the way you know the the offense is running? He can't and, be fine with with the way it's going. Um, well, you remember what you were saying about um, Melo when you talk about the common denominator. <laughs> um, there have been two coaches in Oklahoma City, and or three, I guess, uh, since uh, uh, they got they moved there, and um, you know, two of them. Well, at least the last two have taken a lot of heat for the lack of ball movement yes. and the lack of, um, you know, offensive ingenuity. 
And um, there's only been one player that's been there through it all. <laughs> so I'm just saying that, like, I think a lot of people may want to give Donovan the pass because Cause of Russ. We learned from, from Scott Brooks that coaching yeah. Russ is different. Right. You know, um, yeah. Russ has a way he likes to play, and it's it's genuinely successful. I mean, he, he made four trips to the Western Conference Finals playing this way. He won an MVP playing this way. Went to the finals. So, yeah, went to the finals. Yeah. So as a coach, you're going to tell that guy – this ain't working. Yeah. I mean, right now you can, but is he going to listen when he can say, look at what we did when I'm running the show? So, yeah, I think I think people will probably would like to blame Billy Donovan. I think also people know probably what he's up against because he's, he's got some pretty dominant personalities there who are used to doing things a certain way. And that's a tough position for any coach. Um, but, but you're right. If, if you have that much talent and you have that many expectations, um, you know, it, so you have to be the leader. You have to be the guy that 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 says, "Okay, enough of this. This is how it has to be done." And I I think that now one one area you can say, "Okay, you let Russ be Russ, do his thing." But one thing I, you you might need to point more to the Billy towards. There should not be a situation where Paul George is like a forgotten man. Yeah, like he should not go games or stretches of games where he's just like vanishes and you don't see him and don't recognize him. Like he should be having a ball in his hands. You know, you, you find a scheme where when Russ is sitting, you make Paul your main facilitator. You let him handle the ball and run plays and do those type of things because he can do that. Uh, you got to get these guys engaged. You got to get them, get them rolling. Um, maybe it doesn't happen when they're both on the floor. Um, you know, you see it with uh, New Orleans, you know, they have situations where DeMarcus just runs a show and then, he sits and then they, they Boogie run the show. Out, yeah. And, you know, it's not necessarily working out in terms of wins, but, I mean, it does work in terms of getting those two guys off. And you got to get your stars off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to make sure that they get rolling if you don't have any chance at OKC. I just feel, I just feel like we're giving, we're giving Billy Donovan a, a bit of a pass. And, I, and I'm not saying that to malign Billy, Billy Donovan. I'm just thinking about all of the coaches, that, like I mentioned, who have been in right, that predicament. Brooks and he took a lot of yes. When we like time, right? every time there was a coach, at some point that became the guy in the middle of that dartboard. You know, like well, this guy. You know, I and I thought it was as unfair a lot of times then as I think it's maybe unfair now in Billy Donovan's favor. I thought Spolster took an inordinate amount of grief from people for stuff that was beyond his control because that was something that Dwayne Wade and LeBron James shoe had to come to an understanding about. And Chris Bosh, the stars had to understand who was going to adjust, sacrifice, and make adjustments. KD did the same thing, you know, with Steph and those guys last year. I'll also say that this is not the first time that Melo has not um, sort of played well with another All-Star. I mean, because we remember that 2010-11 Knicks team, before they traded for Melo, was rolling and that was a lot of not rolling, but they were like a much improved team and a lot of fun team, to watch. Yeah. And then Melo came in and they still made the playoffs, but they were five hundred um, the rest of that season when Melo came. I think they were like six right. or so games above five hundred before he got there. Right. And every year that Carmelo and Amari Stoudemire were together, the Knicks were worse when the two of them were on the floor together than when you know they were separated. And so it's not that's he's he's a element to this too, um, but like you said, with the coaches, it's it's tough. You know, some coaches are 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 meant to coach some teams, certain teams, and some are are not meant to coach certain teams. You know what I mean? There's um, they all have their strengths and weaknesses, and there's hardly any that you can say they're good across the board at everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it would be fascinating to see like what if Popovich was the coach of Oklahoma City right now? Like would he have been would he have Oh, I'm all sure these he would have mentioned to somebody. And, yeah, come on. You know, or like yeah, it, or you know, anybody else like or Dan Tony, like would the ball be moving better if like he was the coach of this team? Or you know, it's it's a it's sort of a fascinating question and, and like I said, it's hard to know from uh, for us from the outside exactly what that dynamic um, is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. yeah. What, well, what, so it's interesting you say that though, just because the reason why Billy was hired was because of his offense, exactly because of the schemes and because of his ability to get the ball movement, ball moving. That was one of the reasons why Durant was so excited when they hired him at the time. But you know where he was a year later. <laughs> 
good yeah, play. Yeah, I mean, and they've ranked last in pat like bottom three in passes per game, passes per possession uh, every year. Yeah. And 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 so, you know, it is what it like. It, it's it's in their DNA at this point, and changing that DNA. Yeah, maybe it's rough. If it ever happened, it would be fa- it'll be fascinating to see just long term whether Paul George stays, whether Carmelo Anthony stays, whether. Any team with with Westbrook as its point guard um, will ever move the ball. Yeah, and like, and I and I, and I don't want to jump on Russ because I, I think he's trying. I think he is trying to. I think they all know, are incorporate these guys. I yeah. think he wants it to work. I, I think he knows that if it doesn't, that people will be blaming him. So yeah, I don't think it's a selfish thing uh, among trying. them at all. He's also lost track of who he was in the process. So yeah. I think he started to get back to that. I don't think it's a selfish thing on anybody's part. And I'm just, I raise it the question. Only because I thought, you know, if, if I'm the coach of that team and these guys can't figure it out themselves, then maybe I'm looking in the mirror and going, well, I got to do something. And even if I got to be the bad guy in that situation, you know, or the guy that, that maybe it, it incurs the wrath of one of the stars based on the changes I think we need to make to be successful, so be it. So, well, they got to do something because they don't have a lot of time, and Paul George is a free agent this summer. So, And the Rockets are coming on Christmas. they got to get it going very soon. Yeah, and and that ball movement machine in Houston is coming. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the Christmas question. When do, they, when do they pull the plug? Because like, the trade deadline's earlier this year, right? Yep. And Paul George yep. is a free agent, and, you know, they're – like I, I've said it, you know they've they're seven and three in 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 uh, December, but all seven of those game, all the seven of those wins have been within five points in the last five minutes. So they're barely holding on right now. Like they're clutch time, baby. Escaping, they're surviving. They're in survival mode right now, and they are far from sort of finding their stride. Yeah. Um, in any way whatsoever. Well, we're gonna get another look at them on Christmas, and uh, I know you guys will both be watching. Um, Shu, as always, we appreciate you coming on with Schumann Stat. Longest Schumann Stat in the history of the Hangtime Podcast, by the way. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, Mike Lee, appreciate you coming on, man. We're skipping bragging rights this week. I don't think I did very well last week anyway, and GA ain't around him to make his evil pick, so we'll do that another time. Um, Merry Christmas to you two. Um, Thank we, you, Merry Christmas to you as well. Yeah, man, we appreciate everybody. You know, um, Subscribe to the Hangtime Podcast on Apple Podcasts for a new episode all season, every week. And uh, we're off next week. We'll see you in 2018. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every Thursday this season. And as always, say kuna matata. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.